I find fascinating, and this applies to music, that's what I was going to bring up, is when you listen to great music, so much of the great music, the greatness in the music is not only what is in the music, but also what is not in the music. What do I mean by that? If you were to have a song that is just purely full of you know, uh, guitars all the time playing and, and drums all the time playing, everything playing all the time, you would, it would just be cacophony, no matter how great or virtuous. So I think a better way to put it is if an instrument, even just pick one instrument, right. played every note of that instrument all at once at all right. times. Like all 88 keys on the piano are hit all at once every time for every measure of a song. In sixteenth notes, you'd have nothing but a racket. Right. You know. Yeah. Not 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 music, just noise. That's, that's the difference. That's so true. In other if words, you were... the silences are what makes the art. Right. And uh, take a song Hey Jude, for example. That's a build up song, what I call a build up song, right? It starts off very quiet, Hey Jude, and you you basically hear only Paul McCartney's voice for the first few seconds. There's no instruments. And then it, they slowly introduce one instrument at a time. But if they were just to start it all off all at the same time, because that's after all, that's where the song leads up to, right? There's a lot of instrumentation, and they start all with it, and and only that, but put a whole bunch of other instruments, it would be, it wouldn't be the same song. In fact, it probably would be a very unpleasant song. It's, I can guarantee it would be an unpleasant right. song. Not probably, definitely. <laughs> so, the, a good producer uh, of music uh, thinks not only of the music to use, but also the music not to use. You can overproduce an album. You've, you've heard that before. And by the way, another Beatles example is a good example of that, and that is the Let It Be album. Let It Be, while there are some many good songs on it, uh, a couple of the songs are overproduced, and uh, there's a lot of criticism about that. The Long and Winding Road is the best example of that. If you listen to that song, it's not designed to be this big orchestra. Phil Spector put all that music in. It was actually supposed to be a very simple song, just a piano song. But uh, more more akin to the uh, to the song "Hey Jude." Yeah. Anyway, um, the Beatles were brilliant to this. Um, there's also pauses in between parts of a song that kind of uh, give you a sense of anticipation. That's that's wonderful. The same is true in art, right? You 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 judge art not only. I mean, you if you put all the paint all over the place, you would eventually get what a black or a brown colored canvas, but you choose not to put certain white there and a certain black there and green there, and all of a sudden you have a beautiful Matisse painting. It's, again, a discretion issue. Now, it's true in arguments, too, when you're trying to be persuasive. Um, you want to make sure to exercise your discretion about what you're going to say and what you're not going to say. So many of the times that we talk to uh, young associates, for example, when they're in court, they will make, they feel the need to address every single argument that the other side says. And not only that, but every other imaginable argument. They think that's what it means to be a good lawyer. They're wrong. It's not what you want to do. You want to really focus on the one, two, three major arguments. Focus on those. And because that's what the judge will be able to focus on. That's what the jury will be able to focus on. They don't, they don't understand the case as well as you do, first of all. They don't care about the case as much as you do. They want to see it in very simple terms. And the person who presents it in simple terms will win. Um, he will win if the other side 
presents it in complicated terms. Now, the battle will be if both parties, both are good attorneys, and they both present it simply, their side simply, okay, then it's a question of evidence. But I can guarantee you, if one side presents it, his side of the case simply, and the other side presents it in a very complicated way, the one who does it simply will win. Well, an example of uh, what to leave out, could that be applied to Christopher Darden and Marsha Clark? with that famously horrible moment where they had O.J. try on glove, a yeah. pair of dirty, old, crusty, shrunken gloves, it's acting a, it, as if they should have fit. And then, you know, the whole thing, if the, that Johnny Cochran then made famous, if they don't fit, you must have quit. Right. They didn't have to open that up. They didn't have to open it up, and uh, they did. They, they, that was also a trap that the other side laid for them, uh, knowing that the, the glove would not fit, and then they, they basically goaded and baited the other side, the prosecution, to demand that they open up that glove situation and, and uh, insist on it being tried by, by O.J. Simpson. And then, of course, it didn't fit. Uh, so it's a famous moment in judicial history, a stupid moment in many ways. Uh, but, yeah, you, to answer your question... It's the same thing. That was, that was a brushstroke or a note. Yeah. It was a brushstroke that shouldn't have appeared on the canvas right. or a note that didn't need being played at that moment. Right. It, it may have been a game that... Uh, sorry, it was a game that the, the defense played but let's say that the prosecution did it correctly and simply demurred to the whole thing, meaning ignored it. And the other side said, no matter what you do, you will not make us to wear, wear, this, wear this glove. And then uh, the prosecution says, fine, yeah, that, that's cool. Let's move on to more important things. Yeah, you know that mountain of evidence? Right, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we only need this one. <laughs> right. And then, of course, however, plays it. Then, of course, the defense at that point may say, well, wait a minute. What about this glove? Well, I thought you said it wasn't important. <laughs> you didn't. That's what they should have done. Of course, yeah. they would have been in a sticky wicket, but the jury would have still wondered what. Is, what about this glove? But here is the simple opening statement and the simple closing statement when it comes to O.J. Simpson. And I'm not even prepared to say it right now, but I just know the flow of how things work so well. So here it is, without me preparing whatsoever for it. Here is what the prosecution should have said, ladies and gentlemen. We have very straightforward evidence. The blood is everywhere. The DNA evidence proves that he has, was there and he did it. There's no other crime scene evidence. And at the end of the day, uh, he won't be able to present any evidence to suggest otherwise. He's the only man who did it. He's the only man who could have done it. And you'll find it as a reasonable doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt. Blood, knife, no alibi. Thank you. No, it has to run. Blood, knife, wife, waiter, no alibi. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's it. But yeah, simple. That's it. Yeah. Um, and, and that would have been the same. And, and, and we, we really don't need to do anything further. Well, I have to okay. amend that. Blood, wife, waiter, wife. No, blood, knife, waiter, wife, no alibi. Right. You know, Dr. Seuss. Well, we can always talk, and people can always talk about this case as, as, as a seminal case in many ways because it has, everyone saw the, the thing, and, and there's so many interesting twists and turns in that, in that story. They, the other side, uh, made it about – they actually made it very simple, believe it or not. They simply said, as you said, if the glove don't fit, you then must you must have quit. quit. So they made it all about the glove. Well, they, they actually made about – I thought I thought two things because I, I watched oh, – They also said things. the blood could be different, uh, different yeah, types. Uh, but I thought they really made it about two things, which – both of which – were instances where the prosecution made brush strokes or played notes that shouldn't have been played or right. painted on canvas. Mm -hmm. Number one, the glove. Number two, Mark Furman. Yeah. They said he was asked, did you ever use this word ever? 
Right. He said no. And then there's a tape of him saying that word. Right. He could have very easily said, yeah, I said that word. Who hasn't said that word? Right. And, and, and oddly enough, in his defense, and then I want to move on to from this topic, is, uh, and I just read this from the Ann Coulter book, she, she addressed that very deeply. And the question was, in the past 10 years, have you said that word? And he said no. It turns out that he had said it in the past nine years and three mo- and, and six months, something like that. It was that close. Wow. That's what it was. So that was his so-called perjury. Um, and had it been... 10 years and one month, he yeah. would have been perfectly fine. Yeah, but with a low information, highly racially charged right. jury from South Central LA, of course that was enough to acquit. Right, and, yeah. and, and again, drilling down a little bit, but, the, you know, Furman basically said, fine, I'll, I'll cop to perjury. He just didn't want to fight it. He yeah. should have fought it because the standard on perjury is, is it a materially false statement? And he was worried that somehow it, he, he got too worried and he shouldn't have gotten worried yeah. because the reality was it wasn't materially a false. Had he said, I'd never said this word before. And then, so even if he had said it, let's say he had said it only one month before and he lied about, and he knew that he lied about it. So, I mean, forget about it being close to 10 years. He knew that he said it. So what? It does not materially affect the case. That's the main issue because perjury is a misrepresentation, a material misrepresentation that actually affects the case. Right. All right. So bearing false witness. By bearing the false witness standard. that actually leads to a, an incorrect uh, yeah. verdict. All right. Look, let, let's move away from O.J. Simpson and talk about persuasion. Um, I tell all my associates when they write a brief or when they argue in front of court, say in a very short, pithy way what you're going to say. Just get it out, and then you'll basically lead the audience to where you need to be. So, for example, uh, I, I had a, uh, a trial recently about a year ago, and we went uh, before that, like the day before the trial, we went into chambers with a judge, and the judge asked, okay, well, let's, let's time this out a little bit. Let's get an assessment of how long the case is going to be. And he turns to my opposing counsel, and he says, uh, we'll call him Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith, uh, how long do you want for your opening statements? And he said, 30 to 40 minutes, Your Honor. Uh, then he turns to me, Mr. Lurie, what, what about you? And I said, three to four minutes, if that. And he, the judge liked that. You could yeah. tell. He goes, sure you want to do that, Mr. Smith? He says to him, he goes, no, I need uh, 30 to 40 minutes in order to really get at it. There's a lot of stuff Are you sure there. you don't want to go for an early lunch and have a martini? That's what I'm doing That's right. after his statement. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, from the judge's point of view, it's like, okay, I, I, don't, I, lo- I don't like long statements, but... But it's in front of a jury. Yeah. So sure enough, he's the plaintiff. Uh, he gets up and he does this. It was 35 minutes. It was exactly between 30 and 40 minutes. He does this long-winded thing and he brings out all the history of it's, – it's, it was a restaurant dispute. In the uh, comedy world, we call it death. Was it death? It was death. He was all over the place. He kind of – a lot of by-the-ways were said in the middle of that. you know. And going back to what I said previously, there was one thing that I forgot to mention – that there was also this, and you have to understand that in the context of the time, that was not what was. There was no such thing as a cell phone. I mean, he would he would go. It was on a and bad Tarantino like movie with flashbacks. In it everything. was all over. Jump the place. ahead, flashbacks. By the way, it's parentheticals. <laughs> and then he said, in any of you know, I concluded by saying, so I think you get the picture, ladies and gentlemen. This is what we will do, and we will show this, uh, and that that uh, the, the, my client should pay a lot of money. Okay, I go up, and here and. And I haven't said anything about the case yet. 
So here's, you're the jury now, okay? I went up and I said, ladies and gentlemen, the jury, this is a very simple case. His client is a brother of my two brother clients. He claims after 20 years that he should get a partnership interest in my client's restaurant. They don't have a single evidence, a piece of evidence, not a single email, a text, letter, anything for 20 years. He wants his piece only because now my clients have worked it up and made a lot of money out of it. We're done. There is no case. Thank you. And I sat down. <laughs> my, I mean, words to that effect. It was, it was yeah. that short. I can tell you it was right. just it's that more, short. It's more like 30 seconds. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I said if, if that. that. Right? So I, I sit down. And my client's like thrilled. You could just see him. He's like, yeah. yes. And then my associate who heard me say that she writes down on the note, she goes, perfect opening statement ever. It was like yeah. perfect period, right. opening period <laughs> statement ever. So I, I was hope, I was happy. And I thought maybe I've just shot myself in the foot or something. But we go through the evidence at a trial and each witness that we put up, we get on and get off, on off. No big deal, nothing. Yeah. And is there any evidence that you had that you actually complained about this, Mr. Smith? Will they decide cases in your favor just because you're not boring? Uh, they no, assuming uh, that there is evidence to support your case. Well, no, not that you're just throwing crap at the wall. Of course, or, no, yeah. of course. You, you, if you f present your case as though you know what you're talking about, it goes a long way. Let's put it that way. It's not a hundred percent, but it goes a long, long way. Um, it, it, you make it sound obvious. Yeah. Now, I'm, I just made it sound obvious to you in the opening statement, and there was the truth was there was no email. There, I mean, it's a to me, it's an open, shut case, and it should be for them. You're going to hear a lot of, you know, at, at this point, um, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't even have to say this. He, his entire reliance was hoping that somehow the jury would think that there was something there. But there wasn't. There's not one single email. Not one exhibit, not one witness will say any of these things. Okay? So that's it. And uh, they were, I, I mean, they had really no basis for their arguments. Okay, so we, we end up winning on a, what's called a directed verdict. That's a motion in the middle of a case where the other side rests its case. And I, I simply get up and say, Your Honor, they don't have any case. And we won on the directed verdict except for one cause of action, which still was lingering. We settled that one for a pittance. The jury was excused and thanked for their service. We, we go out in the hallway and we poll the jury. Polling the jury just means, you know, tell me what you think. Yeah. And... They all said to me, Mr. Lurie, once you were done with the opening statement, we had already decided the case. Yeah. That was music to my ears. I realized that uh, the power of being, of respecting your audience, making a clear vision for them, and, uh, and, and making it easy for them. That's all. Do you now try when you have other cases to replicate that kind of clarity in the opening statements? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Not only when I do it on an oral basis, but when I do it in, in written form. Um, many times my associates here, and I've got fantastic associates, but once in a blue moon, they'll present me with a motion or an opposition to a motion, whatever piece of writing that they have. And it's very well written. It's uh, laid out in a nice way. And it doesn't have an introduction. When I, and I send it back and I say, give me an introduction. You know I want an introduction. And that's got to be the best part of it, the best. Um, let, me get, let me give you an example of a, of a good motion, a good introduction. 
um, uh, let's say we represent the defendant and we're seeking to get rid of this case by way of what we call summary judgment. We want to get rid of it on the grounds of its statute of limitations. Here's my opening statement, uh, the introduction. Uh, plaintiff filed their complaint in December of 2012. However, their deposition statement admits that they knew about the alleged breach of contract in January of 2004. The statute of limitations is only four years for breach of contract. Therefore, more than, and more, more than eight years has passed, there should be no case. The court, uh, a defendant respects the request of the court to dismiss this action. Boom, done. Okay? The rest of it is surplusage. It's all about the, the underlying facts, and, and then you cite to the record, and you cite the law about what the statute of limitations is, and you have this code section and everything else, and you can brief it. You can brief this to death. It could be another 10 pages to say the exact same thing. But that intro leads you to where you need to be. But then if you were to read that, supports the intro. everything else just supports it. That's yeah. it. It's like a film. Uh, yeah. A film has a title. Yeah. The well, easiest one. That's right. Star Wars. Right, exactly. What is it? Everything's a war in the stars. Right, right. <laughs> right? That's, that's right. Yeah. Every scene, yeah. every movement, every product yeah, supports that. It's you know? nice when it's nice when a title gives you a, a lead as to what this is about. Yeah. But you want to make the ordinary people. Right. They are ordinary. They are people. Right. <laughs> right. But you, you know what I mean. The good films are that. Right. They're not. The, a bad film would be called something like an indecipherable puzzle you can't figure out. You know. Well, but let me tell you about uh, one of my favorite movies and and one of my favorite parts of movies that really illustrates this point. You saw the movie Jerry Maguire? Yeah. Okay. One of my favorite, you know, there are many famous parts of it. You th when you think of Mary, uh, Jerry yeah, Maguire. Show me the money. Show me the money, yeah. right? And you think of uh, uh, a lot of the other things. That's what I said. One of the, uh, toward the end, you think of, uh, you have me at hello, right? Here's Tom Cruise. He, he realizes that he really wants to be with his wife. He goes back in and she's at uh, some sort of, she's at the house, but with a bunch of her girlfriends and they're, you know, they're talking smack about men and everything else. And he walks in, it's out of the rain, and he says, hello, I just want you to know that I love you, I've always loved you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for you. And I think that marriage is very important between two people, and we need to stick it together, and you are the woman for me, and I'll always be with you, and I can't believe that I, I, I would ever even think to not be with you. And he goes on and on, right? And then she, he finally stops after, I guess, five minutes, which is a long time. And she, and he finally stops. She walks over to him, kisses him, and, and she says, you had me at hello. Right? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You didn't have to do any of the other stuff. Yeah. That was, hello was good enough. That was just great. Yeah. He knew, she knew that just by being there and saying hello, that that's what he wanted. Yeah. And the same sort of thing is true with the intro to a to a. Yeah, you want the jury, like they said when you pulled them, you had us at the opening statement. Exactly. You won the case right there. There you go. And you're, you're doing them a favor. You're, you're telling them what they need to think. And I'm not, not talking about hypnotizing. You need to respect the, 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 uh, the jury. Uh, but don't make them work. Why? Why would you make well, them work? In a jury, you have to tell them a story, and that's what the storyteller does. You know, when I read a book, the author is telling me what to think, essentially, right. to understand the story. So, because if I don't know what they want me to think, then how can I follow the story? Well, it's the same thing. You're not mind-controlling the jury. You're... Right. Well, one of the great reasons to think to yeah. explain this. Right. Good persuasive writing 
does just that. And Wall Street Journal editorial page, for example, is great. Almost all of them have that in common. They start off by telling you, here is what the problem is, and here's, and, and the rest of my article is going to explain and back up what I just said. Boom, done. Um, now, we talked about discretion before. This is all about discretion, right? And w when you write that intro, you need to parse down everything you want to say in three, four, five lines. It's hard, but you got to do it. And you got to decide what not to include just as much as what you should include. And that's hard, hard, hard. I love this business, uh, and, but it's also about respect. Look, another example of this, and it's not just persuasive writing, it's not just in music, it's not just in art. It's in business, too. One of the best examples I can give you is Apple's Macintosh. I remember when the Mac came out. I was in college, uh, and I bought one of the first Macs. I don't know if I bought the very first generation, but like six months later, the second generation. And I remember what I loved about it. You know what it was? No. Well. It wasn't the speed of the processor or anything else like that. I didn't care about that. I loved that I could buy this and I could put it on my desk and I could start work. working on it. Yeah. That I could start working on it right away, right away. without having to read a, a friggin' manual. Or load software or yes. figure out how this worked. You point, you click, it works. Right. Magic. And that was the magic. Yeah. That's what made it so appealing. It brought, it, it made sense of the computer age for Joes like me, regular Joes. And I am a regular Joe when it comes to computers. And by the way, their, their intro to you, their 30-second intro, the 1984 ad, which says, on this day, we'll, it'll prove that 1984 will not be like 1984. In other right. words, you will be free from the group think that makes you a slave to the computer processing Right. Engineer propeller hair right. world. You can just use this thing. Right. You can use it. it just you you does, too can use it, it. Yeah, you too. And uh, it, was a, it was very, simpl yeah, very simple. Very simple. Not simplistic. Interesting but... how you were saying uh, about respecting the audience or the jury. Think about how much respect that the people who made that had for you, the end user, that they thought you were respectful enough that you didn't have to enter their engineering world right. to use an engineered device. That's exactly right, and that's exactly the mistake that my, Mr. Smith, in my example, made during his opening statement. He expected them to figure out exactly what he meant and, and, and to put all these pieces together for him, and I, he wasn't doing his homework. You, yeah. need to, you need to congeal it down, just like Macintosh did, or Apple did, and say, how do we make it so that people can use this thing? And will want to use this thing and are excited about this thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and they succeeded uh, beyond anybody's imagination. Uh, and now Apple is, I think, the, the most successful company in history or has certainly the most money in history. It clearly is, yes. Yeah. So that's, oh, that's and, what we And to show you how far this has come in, in that area and how much respect uh, at the, at the uh, gym where I work out, they have a... a uh, an area for the uh, kids club well, where they take care of kids right. and my kids are addicted to iPads and right. iPhones you know they see even my one year old she just goes crazy for them so while I'm there there's another little boy not our kid who's there and he sees me holding the iPhone and rushes up to it and tries to grab my iPhone out of my hand because he's addicted to it too right. it, it, th those product lines are so universal they have some bond deep-seated in the absolute natural genetics of human beings, even, if you will, primitives, babies, right. are immediately drawn to that. Right. 
That that's how magical these things are. Yeah, yeah you can. There's do no it. project in history that that requires like stuff like that that attracts children to use it. You know, do you see children rushing to an oil well to operate it or a, a jet plane? Right, no, an iPhone. Yes, and not only that, but but you can do it with only your thumb. You can literally hold it on the back of your palm, and and then with your thumb, type an email, uh, play Angry Birds, whatever it might be that that suits your fancy. Play music, of course. All of a sudden, uh, you're you're in a great world. And, yeah, the and basic binary gestures of you know close encounters of a third kind. Right. Those gestures are essentially how you operate right. an iPhone. If you can do this, 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 right? You know. And it's funny because we talk about respect, and it's also about discretion. Um, we are uh, when you when you do the work, you do the homework to make it that simple. You are respecting your audience. And you will profit out of it. You will get good results. Either you'll win a court case, you'll be able to sell that computer or the uh, iPhone devices, as the case may be, yeah. the devices. Um, your artwork will sell. Your, your music, music will sound yeah. better. Um, hey Jude, for example, is a beautifully simple song. It could have been very complicated, but he made it very simple. And it's so it resonates in a, in a natural way. In fact, it, it's almost impossible to imagine how somebody... A world without that song. Hey Jude is so innate. There are many other songs, of course, you can say, well, gosh, I wish that song was never produced or invented. Not only because it sounds horrible, but just it doesn't belong in, in our mainstream. But Hey Jude is so natural that you would, you, it's part of our parlance already. Uh, likewise with Macintosh, you, it's almost hard to imagine worlds that didn't have a very simplified computer setting and then ultimately the iPhone and the iPad. It, it seems so natural. The world, it would be almost like, it, you know how uh, Steve Jobs is known for these histrionic descriptions right. of what the world would be if, if XYZ didn't work as he right. wanted to, you know. And, and if one second longer, think right. of all that world. You, know, you can almost make the argument, it not, mm-hmm. it's not exactly true, but you could make the argument that the world would not be a civilized world Right, the part of it that is civilized without right. his devices on it. <laughs> That's true. It would be a wild, dangerous world in which, you know, chaos reigned. Sure, you know. Sure, uh, people would die and, and floods would happen, and they'd still be using CDs in CD players, right. and not iPods. That's right. And downloadable music. Yes, of course. You would have to go to Tower Records, that edifice, to purchase your music, wasting gas and sitting in traffic. Good point. You know. Um, here, here we have something that I just want to. Because I, I think I want to wrap this up, but I want to say, talking about the Mac, they did exactly what we just talked about. Yeah, they so exercised total them. discretion. Taste. Total discretion. They decided we are not going to include. What can we not include in all the the, the bells and whistles? What do we, what can we do in just one or two buttons at most? And they figured it out. And because of that, great things happened. That's it. Discretion. Discretion, you'll find it in your own life, in love, in your work. If you want to express yourself and you want to be persuasive, that's what you got to do. Look, um, it dawned on me as I was talking. I, it, we just recently won a very nice case. And let me put it this way. When you, you were in Little League or some sort of uh, sports team at some point when you I were younger. in Little League. I dominated Little League. You dominated League. Little League. Okay. Let's say I own Little League. Let's say you played a team 
and that team beat your team. <laughs> Preposterous. Now, what would you do in connection with that loss? What would you do at the end of the game? Now it's the end of the game. You lost it. It was five to four. You lose. Time to move on. What, what do you do? I'll uh, go out to uh, lunch at, uh, for the, at the pizza place with my friends. No, I mean, and, I'm uh, sorry. I mean immediately after the game. The game is over. You, you lose. Do you just start walking away? No. No, we were forced to shake hands with the other team. You say. Which I thought that was a, you know, you know, well, you, shallow gesture of sportsmanship. Right. <laughs> well, uncalled okay. for for teaching 12-year-olds how to, you know. Right. All kidding aside, <laughs> that's what you do. You, yeah. you say, good game. Right. And you've got to respect the fact that they won. It just, that's what it is. And uh, even if you feel that, uh, you know, things could have been better, the reality is they won. You say, good game. Yeah. In law, it's the same kind of principle. I, I take it upon myself um, on the very few times I've lost, actually. I'm very pleased to say. But, you know, I've, I've lost twice. It's more fun to shake hands after winning, though, isn't it? Absolutely. Good. I'm glad. That's the main thing. I've, I've lost twice. And, um, and those were two cases where I should have lost. And, but nevertheless, I lost. And I remember what I felt was imperative to do. <clears throat> you know, sometimes the case comes down... You know, it just gets the ruling gets faxed to your office, so you're not. It's not as if you're right there at the same time, like you, like in the example of the little league. So, I get the result. I, you know, digest it. Maybe I talk to the client, whatever it might be, and then I call up the other side and I say, "Hey, Bob, I just want to let you know I got the result. I'm sure you've read it too, and I just want to say congratulations. That's uh, it was a really good job that you did, and uh, I was very impressed with the arguments." that you made and, and, uh, I, you know, I could always learn from it. Uh, good for you. And I'd, I'd love to get together sometime for lunch. Um, and then you say, and that's all I wanted to say. Just good job. Well, we'll talk about the post-trial motions and all that stuff, but really this is your day and I'm really impressed. That's what you need to do. Right now, if you were to hear somebody say that, what do you think? Oh, if someone called me and if said... I, what, you know, what I just told you, and I said, you, you, you like that? You think, oh, good job. That's, that's right. That's uh, yeah. I, but, you know, I, I believe that, and not to get on a, a bigger area of this, but I mm-hmm. believe that there's sort of two different ways people generally operate yeah. when they deal with people. There are the people, I think like myself, who generally believe someone mm-hmm. when they, at face value when they say something until we have evidence to prove the contrary, right. until their you know, reputation but is questionable or something. But, but not, not even getting into that. Yeah. When, so when I hear someone say that, I pay that. Feel like it's sincere. It's like right. when you have lunch for someone and you're reaching to pay the bill, and they say, "No, I got that." And you go, "No, it's okay." They say, no, I got that. You really want to pay? Yeah, I want to pay. Okay, pay. Under the idea right. that if they really didn't want to pay, they don't have to offer. I was going to pay. I know, but I'm, you know? but I'm, I'm, I mean, even if, even if it kills me to tell this guy, that, and I thought he was a, a, a jerk throughout the entire trial, I'm still going to say it. I'm still going to say. Bob, good job. That's I, I I have to say it. I will say it, and it's the right thing to say. Yeah. As and, and going back to the little league, you may feel that uh, the other side uh, stole bases or got better uh, calls by the by the referee or whatever. Or umpire. The umpire. Sorry, uh, I was thinking about basketball all of a sudden. So so you you may think that but it doesn't matter. You yeah. just you gotta say good job, good game because one day it'll cut against you the same way, or or for you in the same way. So that's what you do. That's what you do. Now, I bring this up because recently we won a very nice case. 
and in a really elegant way, we won. And my associate did most of the work. He did a fantastic job. I was really impressed. Uh, nevertheless, we got the result, and um, I forwarded it over to the client. Uh, the client was thrilled. We talked a little bit about it, and I called up my associate, and I said, let's take bets of, of when opposing counsel is going to call us. Is it traditional that the loser calls the winner to? That's the right thing to do. Okay, because if the winner called the loser and said good case, that could look like gloating. Yeah, exactly. I, th I think you're right. right. It's not within the yeah, well, uh, protocols of how right. it's done. Well, we've been waiting. For his, yeah. his call. It's, it's been about a week now, a little bit more than a week, and he still hasn't called. Normally, you should call either that afternoon or the next business day. Hasn't called. And there was some business that we need to do because there's a second phase of the trial for damages that we need to kind of get squared away. So I waited like, I don't know, two business days after, and I said, uh, Ted, you know, we need to hope you're doing well. Um, got the result. I'm sure you got the result as well. Let's let's square away uh, how we want to work out the timing and, and such for the for the second phase of the trial. Give me a call. Click. Doesn't call me back, and I still wait and wait. And then I get an email from him just yesterday, about another five days later, saying, "Oh, uh, I got your voicemail. Sorry, I didn't return the call. I'll call you when I get back in town Monday or Tuesday." And that's it. Uh, and and so, why is he? I know that he's BSing me. Because I know that he did get the result, and I know that not only did he get the result, but he wanted a, a transcript of the court hearings. So he had time to call up to get a transcript of the court hearings, maybe for an appeal or whatever. But he didn't have time to call me and say, "Good job, way to go." See, when I. I, I see the BS, right? But can his, his email, his email sure. is such that he's, he's revealing his BS. He's pretending as if he didn't have time. He was busy on other matters is what he said. But he wasn't busy. I know that he called up the court to get the transcripts. And there's, there's no attorney in hell that is that busy that can't take five minutes out and say, good job. But looking from, uh, from his perspective, yeah. just turn things around. Sure. You could make the a general assumption that he's probably upset about the sure. decision, of course. Absolutely. And is it not reasonable to understand that when someone is upset about something, they sometimes want to compartmentalize it for a few days so they have some perspective on it, and at that point they can deal with it? I mean, it's depending, of course, proportionally with the upset. You know what? You just got to stomach it and and. and Suck it in. Well, see, this shows for our listeners out there why you are such a professional, honorable man, and why few attorneys in the greater <laughs> Los Angeles area, you know, can measure Look, up. To I, you. I, I've, I've suffered some blows before as well, and I didn't like it, but I feel like that this is what you got to do. You, it's it's yeah. the right thing to do, and you know the amazing thing about it is when you say what I just said, which is you know, good job, uh, John. Um, he can only look up to you. He only thinks well of you as a result. He will never, even if he thought he just destroyed you, he will, he will only elevate you in his own eyes. Yeah. You can only win. Right. And, only. And it's also a way of, of uh, saving your own face or your own honor. You know, in, in different cultures within business, <clears throat> there's, you know, different rules of etiquette which you never dishonor someone or humiliate them in any way more than right. 
the facts on the ground just did. And well, uh, yeah. by doing that, they have an opportunity to uh, retrieve for themselves some honor because in this case, it's very hard for the victor to call them without looking like you're gloating and just say, you know, you did a good job, um, you know. Right. You know, it's just not your place to call him as the winner. It's not. The, the it's loser not. has to call to offer the uh, handshake, right. if you will. And this, this goes to the point of, uh, the reason why I bring it up is, is I asked you whether or not you could see the BS. And I think most of the listeners and you and I could see the BS. Yeah. Um, telling me that he was busy in other things as if, please. And I'm sure he sent off the email thinking that it goes off to some anonymous person practically that, that won't actually read it. Or, or if he reads it, he'll say, okay, that's fine. I just move on to my next case. No, I read it and I thought less of him. That's exactly what I thought. And, it, and it's more to the point of this mission, of this, of this podcast, which is that people can see your BS much faster than you think they can. And so what do we listen to? What, what do we derive from that? Don't BS. Yeah. Because people will figure it out. And also you're, you're essentially making the roundabout point that the longer you wait to deal with these things, the worse it gets. In other words, yeah, that's true if too. That's you true deal too. with, you know, one or two days, fine, he was upset. Okay, good job, Barack. You know, wow, this is really going to screw me on the client. You know, you know, so I'm not in a good place right now, but you yeah. did a great job. You know, congratulations. Right. Yeah, blah, you can blah, even blah. say, look, I... I Look, I saw the award. I, I, of course, I disagree with the judge. I think he made some mistakes there. But you know what? I got it. Hats off to you. You won. Fair and square. Um, we might might appeal. We might not. I'm going to discuss this with my client. But I, no matter what, you did a, a really nice job presenting the facts. And it was a tough case. And uh, I got to say, I was really impressed. That's okay. You get everything out that you want to. But going back to other things now that reveal the BS. Let's say somebody comes into your office and uh, they're, they're late to a meeting and they say, uh, Ari, I, I'm, you know, sorry, uh, the traffic was just horrible. Um, it was just terrible. W what are you thinking? I'm thinking you were lying to me because I came to visit you. That's this right. This is your office. <laughs> Very funny. Very no, funny. but, well... <laughs> It's L.A., so that, that excuse actually always works. Right, right, exactly. So, you know, no, but, but, you, but you need to adjust for that. Yeah. Okay, so you can, you can do it. But most of the time, I can tell when somebody says, oh, traffic was crazy, as if somehow it's an assumed thing. And, and, it, and this, especially after the third or fourth or fifth time, then you know they're BSing you. Yeah. Because they're just not caring enough. And the, the proper response, if, if that same person came to you and said, sorry, I'm late. Um, and, and, you, and if I said to oh, was the traffic bad? I said, you know what? I was late, and I'm sorry about that. No excuse. I should, have, I should have been better about it. Your time is valuable, and I'm sorry I'm late. Yeah. What do you think when you, when you get a response like that? It's straightforward. It's straightforward. Nice. You like it's it. Hurt. Yeah. Right. Do you think less of me? No. Do you think less of me because I was late? No. Because I said my wife was no, feeding not at all. Okay. No, not at all. It just because I thought that was a really good excuse. If you're <laughs> going to have an excuse, that's totally legit. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, and, and but even if you do have something, sometimes it's it's good to say, um, look, no excuse. Yeah. Uh, something interesting that happened. It's why. Well, what's late. your what's your overall tolerance for this? Because I have an idea. Yeah. You know, different cities in in the country, different regions have a different kind of way of dealing with each other. Right. Um, you know, depending on, you know, I'll call it the bullshit 
Excuse me, oh. BS factor. <laughs> right, right. Um, LA is a particular high quotient of BS factor. It, in other words, everyone in LA, almost everyone, you will. Don't, you don't BS me. I don't BS you. And a lot of people, my, my people. I'm not, just saying, if you put our relationship on a long enough timeline, right. there may be a time where you'll. Or I will say the little white lie here and there just out of convenience to not have a conversation about something like that. Uh, why are you such and such? Uh, because my dog ate my homework kind of excuse, you know. But, 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 but my point is, what kind of tolerance does one should one morally have for that? A zero tolerance policy that a relationship is irrevocably it's it's not zero tolerance. Know. Of course, it's not zero tolerance. Um, like you want the classic example is you think somebody says, you know, do I look nice tonight today? And you say, oh yeah, that's a nice outfit, and you don't really feel it's a nice outfit. Yeah. Okay, I get it. But I'm talking about the the more general things where somebody's. You ask your secretary, did you get the, the work done? And the secretary said, says, oh, I was just about to do it. I'm just about finished. And she, in fact, is nowhere close to finished. And, hasn't, does, and in fact, you, it's clear that to yourself that you just reminded her of the work that she forgot about. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And um, a lot of times you can catch these people doing it because they quickly change the subject. There's all sorts of ways that you can figure out what they're doing. But just to understand something, and that's the whole point of this is to understand that people actually see your BS much faster than you think they do. In the same way that you, listener, listen and you can figure out somebody's BSing you, guess what? They can, everyone else can figure out yeah. that you're BSing them. So don't BS. And you know what? It doesn't hurt that much. I mean, once in a while, Ari, um, I don't know if it's actually happened in our relationship before, but certainly with other people I know, they'll say, did you get to something? And I'll say to them, point blank, I'm sorry, I didn't. Is it okay if I do it later? I'm just too tired. I, there's more time in the day, but the reality is I'm just too tired and I need to be with my but, wife. But have you always been able to do that? Are you one of those rare, 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 one-tenth of one percent, high, super high-integrity people that are golden in this world? I answer to the listeners, yes, he is. But, <laughs> no. I mean... Uh, I know the do you have is, a perfect record on no, that? Of course not. Exactly, because we've all done it. You know. No, no, but, but that's not that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, it, perfection is not what I'm looking for. I'm simply saying let's note for the record, so to speak, that people can see through your BS. That's yeah. it. So if you are BSing somebody, just assume that the person you're BSing is seeing it. That's what I'm talking about. But. You wouldn't BS if you thought that they could see it. That's exactly. the that's the human conflict I understand. in the I understand. BS realm. God, I love this subject. This is, yeah, it's a great subject, it's right? A funny subject. All right. But, but, you, you ate almonds. No, I didn't. I watched. Oh, that was Purell. <laughs> All right, it's pristine. We have a there's a, there's a, a little uh, inside joke here going on. Anyway, the, the point is, you you can BS all you want, but you just need to understand and assume. You're better off assuming that people can see your BS. Yeah. If you assume that, then you'll, you'll probably BS a lot less. And at the end of the day, you'll, you'll, it'll be a, what a, a positive cycle where you just stop BSing altogether. Because well, you, you have yeah. the respect for other people that they will see your BS quickly because think, they're intelligent people yeah. and it's better not to do so. Do you think this is a development relatively recent in contemporary culture, possibly a 
something spawned by seeing so many in the media engage in spin rather than honesty. In other words, mm. we see so often in the media, I'm not talking just politics. I right. mean, almost anywhere in any sort of news media, right. sports media, entertainment media, anything where someone is asked a question and they don't answer the question and then they spin the subject. Example, Lindsay Lohan, are you on drugs and did you steal that necklace? Well, I'll tell you, I have a new movie coming out. Right. I, Those, yeah, you, no, you I, know, get the, I get it. I get it. It's a culture right. that... Man, Titeo, did you lie about having a girlfriend? Well, I think my performance on the field is really reflective of my integrity. I had two interceptions today. Yes, but did you lie about your girlfriend? There's, you know? These are deflections, and it's a classic way of telling whether somebody is BSing you or not, right? Yeah. Uh, and I even said it before. It's, it's, it, people, when people quickly move from the topic to another topic, that's a, a good sign, usually a dispositive sign that they're BSing you. Or that they're liberal, if you're discussing that. Oh, right. Now. Ob- no, obviously, because we've talked about that before. But, but, yeah. he, but here's the thing, and this is the only mission, is that people see your BS. You'll live a much happier life. If you assume that, and if you go in there and say, you know what, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm here late and I really apologize about that. No excuse. And um, just don't even, don't even go there. Don't say it's because the dog ate the paper. Don't say because of, of the lateness, uh, the traffic or anything else like that. Just say, hey, I'm late. And that's it. Yeah. And, and, no, and, and people will, will still understand that you're a human being and they won't even be upset with you. In fact, in my office... Uh, everyone knows about my expectation of honesty because I can smell dishonesty so quickly that I tell them, just be straight up with me and you'll always get a handshake from me and, and I will say to you, I respect you for telling me the truth and there'll be no repercussions other than let's try to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, That's it. And on the contrary, I'll, I'll feel so highly about you. <laughs> you might even get a bonus, right? Uh, you know, that month. <laughs> Did you do any work? No, I didn't. I didn't do anything. <laughs> Were you late? Yes, I was. <laughs> Did right. you do any work? No, nope. slept under my desk all the time. Well, thank you for being awesome. That's right. Here's, Here's a, a bonus. Here's a bonus. Like an episode it's, it's Seinfeld almost, or something. It's, 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 <laughs> I, I appreciate that honesty so much that that's, I might very well do that. I mean, yeah, yes, of course, <laughs> it gets to the point where you, you don't expect it. But if you, but then they're BSing you at a certain point. If they're if they're BSing you about their honesty, right? Right. You you could BS somebody. Uh, oh, uh, you know, I just want you to know, I didn't file that uh, complaint on time, uh, but I'll do it next uh, Friday. I'm so sorry about that, Barack. Um, and and he could have gotten away with it, like. But I'll know that he's doing. It's a pattern where he's expecting me to say no problem and all that. That it's it's a BS up its own form, yeah. and it's also a question of respect. Yeah. Yeah, it's a question of respect. If you do not, if you're BSing people and you expect them to not see your BS, you're disrespecting them because the reality is you're giving information, whether you realize it or not, and people are picking up the clues and they know you're BSing them. Right. And if you ever have, if you ever want to wonder about that, ask if you're a BSer out there and you know who you are, you know, you think you're not a BSer, <laughs> but if you, if you are a BSer of any kind, just watch yourself. And, and maybe take note of it. And then ask yourself if somebody came to you and did the exact same thing, whether you would figure it out. And chances are you would. Yeah. So uh, all sorts of clues are, emanate from that. And you gain so much respect by admitting things. Um, and Americans are great at this, by the way. Um, 
they say Americans love somebody who admits to an adulterous affair. They just come out clean with it and say, yep, I fell from grace. I'm, I really feel stupid about it. I let down my constituents. I let, let down my wife, most importantly, and my family. And I've got to deal with this. People love that. Yeah. They don't expect it. That, that's the beauty of it. They love it when you're human. As long as you admit you're human. They hate it when you pretend to be perfect and you are, in fact, a human. So why is Bill Clinton so popular? Well, they, they resented him. And I, I, he lost me. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. Oh. wait, wait. He lost, I was a Bill Clinton supporter. Oh! Yeah, yeah. I, you, you? Yes. Until, until he lied to all of us. And I, I, I took an exceptional exception to his perjury in deposition. It's one thing to lie to, you know, from the camera, which is bad enough as it is. But when you lie in a court, in a deposition, that really bugs me. Because that's the, the last caveat. That's the last battleground where you expect people to tell the truth. At the very least, tell the truth when you're sworn under a penalty of perjury. He didn't do that. He lost me. And when he told me I did not have sex with that woman, I think that's a quote, right? And then it was so clear. And then he tried to massage it, so to speak. Um, it became, I really resented because he was so BSing me. Um, and he lost me in that moment. Another great BSer. Uh, not as big as Bill Clinton in that, in that is famous, but the Duke lacrosse case case. Do you remember that? Yeah. Nifong. Nifong. His now, his name is now synonymous with, with BS. Yeah. Um, he goes out and he tells, um, I mean the, the, the DNA came out completely non-existent. Yeah. Non-existent. And you know, in a rape scene, it's one thing if you, if you, pl you, you could plan it out for months to wear gloves and a hat and everything else. And you'll probably still leave DNA. <laughs> right. And this, was a crime scene which was impromptu, supposed allegedly, and there was a big rape going on by many men, not just one, uh, with all, all, drug, drunk, all drunk, no drugs on the premises yeah. and a wild party, and they somehow cleaned up every hair, and right. fiber, and yeah, there's no DNA and blob. It's, yeah. So, so that was clear. Okay, and the story, I think to myself, you know, I expect Nifong to to go, you know, say, well, in light of this uh, evidence, we we do feel it's appropriate to dismiss the case, and we have to question the witness, the, the woman herself. Um, but no, no, he's still adamant about it and he's going to go forward with it. And we all knew that he was BSing us. Every time he talked to the cameras saying we have compelling evidence of, of this other compelling evidence about it. Really? Well, show it to us, Mr. Nifon. Yeah. You, you're supposed to disclose it to the, to the defendants anyway. So where is it? Are you going to surprise them in a trial? Um, so he was BSing and everyone saw it. All of America saw it. Yeah. And then, and then he tries to BS the state bar. In North Carolina, I think it was. And during his disbarment hearings, and that was, I loved watching that. That was the one time of reality TV show. I just, I loved it. I watched every moment of that, and I couldn't wait to see him destroyed. And he was still trying to BS uh, the, the bar examiner, the, not the examiners, the, uh, the bar, the judges of the state bar. And he, and they, they just, they were shaking their heads as he was talking to them. Just don't BS people. The best he could have done is, uh, I, 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 that was a remarkable bad judgment. I plead with you to give me a second chance. I, I saw in my eyes political future, and boy, do I feel stupid about it. If I could apologize to those boys over and over again, I would. Um, they must have, I put them through hell. I, I feel really crappy about it. Yeah. And I understand, you know, whatever you're going to do, I, feel, I understand it, but I, I, I hope you do not disbar me. I hope you give me a second chance. Give me suspension. If you will, give me a community service. I'll do that too. 
but uh, this is my livelihood, and I would really appreciate it. Give me a second chance. Don't you think that would be yeah. – that's his best shot, shot at least. Yeah. Uh, but to say anything else is uh, really bizarre. Um, I'm an arbitrator as well as a lawyer. So I actually hear people, people's disputes, usually fee disputes, a contract disputes of some kind or another. And, the, and I see BS. And when these people come up with these arguments that are so cockamamie and they can't even say it with a straight face. And I turn to them and I said, you know, but how can you really believe that? And they'll still go forward and they'll say, oh, yes, here's why, you're, uh, Mr. Lurie. And I say, I just take note. Okay, it's fine. They're BSing me. Yeah. And um, it, it's really a remarkable thing. It goes on and on like this. Look, bottom line is don't BS. You, you'll, as much as you see BS from other people, just trust me, other people see it. This is not a contest of who is a better BSer. Everyone can see through your BS. Have the respect to know that people, however dumb you think they are, however uninformed you think they may be, they still see your BS. And that runs from the, the, the cashier girl at McDonald's to your lawyer to a judge to anybody else. Yeah, but uh, especially your, doctor, your mother. But especially, yeah, your mother. Right? And your mother knows it too. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they see it. So be cautious. Uh, and you'll, you know what? You'll enjoy your life a lot more and people will respect you a lot more and they'll actually think much more highly of you if you're just straight up with them. Yeah, there's there's not, no, no mistake that you can make uh, or very few mistakes that you can make uh, that uh, complete honesty about will not uh, actually elevate you in their eyes. Yeah. And also the ironic thing is most of the time the uh, BS that's being spouted is over completely inconsequential things. Yeah. It's so true. It's, well, like the lateness thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're a little bit late. Most people are late five to five minutes to half an hour. Yeah. And, and even if they are late, they'll call up and they'll say, I'm running late. Sorry about that. That's cool. Everyone's good with that. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they think that they have to BS in order to give an excuse, and then yeah. Well, I think I think a lot of it is they're more aligned for themselves yeah. than for the other person. Right. I once had three attorneys here uh, in this very office, and we were all talking about this one case. We were talking about different cases. They all had different cases for me that they were working on, and one of them was clearly BSing me. I mean, I could tell right away. And he said, "Well, uh, I didn't get it. Uh, that's because you didn't give me the, the such and such to do." And he was trying to lay blame with me. And all the, the other two, straight up, they're, they're just wonderful guys. And uh, I was finished with the, the middle guy, the, the BSer. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. Uh, thanks a lot for coming. And then we'll, we'll talk more later on. And then I turned to the other two and I said, what do you think about, uh, we'll call him John. What do you think about what John said? Was he uh, straight up? He goes, no, he was totally BSing you. <laughs> and I said, I agree. That's <laughs> right. He thinks he BSed me. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just hysterical. <laughs> you know, they could see it. I could see it. But John, we'll call him John, uh, you know, he thought he really successfully got yeah. away with it. I mean, so it was hysterical. <laughs> no one noticed. You know. Yeah, and because I didn't call him out on it right on the spot, right? And people notice it. Just because they don't call you out on it right that moment, or ever for that matter, doesn't mean they don't see it. Right. And also, just because you believe it doesn't mean anyone else Exactly. Is.